0: So this evening I'd like to offer some reflections and teachings around the theme of contentment Um, and hope very much you can uh, be comfortable and listen in that grounded, spacious way. I always like to encourage whereby the words can arise and pass and just for your heart to just see what might resonate, what might be of interest or or of help. Um, yeah. So, what does it feel like? How do we, how do we know the quality of contentment? I would, in a way, then the talk is kind of an invitation to explore that. You know, if you wish, or just as we sit, you know, it's like. What would it be to to sit here in a contented kind of way? Is that of any interest? So just yeah, just lightly, gently, sort of holding that in your awareness, if you wish, as we talk, and perhaps noticing. Yeah, it's like how do we recognise it? How would we know? You know, if somebody asks you how you are, and you say, well feeling quite contented, like what would, what would it feel like? Maybe as I'm talking, you know, if you want to, you sort of remember uh, recalling that experience, or maybe you feel quite contented right now, you know. <laughs> maybe you didn't realize you felt a bit contented or quite contented, and I think, oh, actually, you know, maybe it's like, it's a little bit of contentment. So, yeah, just uh, as ha- having it in the field of body and mind as an inquiry, as an interest, just as um, some of the words might point or suggest or highlight things. And I think remembering, you know, I've been talking to people, I look forward to talking to everybody else tomorrow, but the sense of remembering how helpful this is. And with the wholesome qualities, I think it's a really interesting kind of like we remember what something feels like, like in this case we're c- contemplating that contentment. It's almost like, you know, know, I'm trying to put this into words, maybe a little hard, because of taste or this kind of like the fragrance of it. So if we kind of, something in us remembers it's not like a cognitive memory, it's a, maybe you would say it's a felt memory, a body memory, yeah, just it's not just an idea, it's like, oh... You know, and then maybe images or people, like, right? maybe you know people who just have this kind of tendency to be contented. I'm always in awe of that. <laughs> Being, I don't know if there's a continuum here, a sort of typology, like, right? where would you put yourself in the, you know, very contented type, and very discontented type on the other side <laughs> of so, so I would probably be more in the discontented uh, tendency. Although, probably all of us experience that at times, it's just part of being human, it seems. So, what this is sort of what does it feel like, and what are the causes and conditions? I was talking with someone today about this thing this understanding that we can really very fruitfully see and find in our own experience, you know, rather than. I mean it's helpful to read it in the book maybe but really knowing for ourselves what the causes and conditions that give rise to contentment are. Yeah. And it's um, the way contentment arises in the suttas sometimes it's part of the graduated training and it comes after dana, sila. And so I thought about this a bit and I thought yeah I think Generosity and sila, morality, you know, ethical conduct is their conditions, I would say. This is something for you to check out for yourself. So when, you know, when we contemplate that and we, 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 we live like that, or it's ah, there's an interesting basis or perhaps part of a basis for contentment maybe there are many other causes and conditions, you know, and sort of, you're thinking, you know, meditation can be, it can be this, like, contentment then helps the meditation to flourish, which was very much in my mind as I was thinking about preparing this talk. Was, yeah, and then, but also the other way around. Obviously, we find, maybe, we find a way to being a bit more, or very much more contented, you know, in our life through our meditation practice. and then, So yeah, something to really understand, I think, what are the conditions that support it. And I also, I don't know if you, you know the way the Brahma-Viharas are sometimes taught with the near enemies and the far enemies. So I thought maybe all the wholesome qualities have these, so I thought some of the near enemies think that qualities that maybe you might we might mistake for the kind of wise contentment that the Buddha's pointing to. So I came up with a few. So again, this is an interesting one maybe to check out. And that they're maybe not so much based on generosity and wisdom and I think they maybe have a different kind of kind of root, different causes. So um Contentment based on sensory satisfaction. For example, I sometimes give this maybe this is very personal, you could make your own uh, variation. You've just had a really good curry. That's, yeah. And uh, that feeling of satiation or satisfaction, yeah, from. And it's like maybe yeah, it's not to sort of necessarily put that down, or it's not. It's just limited, brief. Yeah. So the sense of okay, there's different kinds of of, of contentment, or well, there are different different causes, different conditions for different kinds of contentment. So looking kind of looking under that a bit, like I was also I also think that that you know that sort of contentment where it's like oh okay yeah <laughs> I'm contented with that if you know it's sort of imposed or going along with you know as a un- unwilling compliance and i guess yeah that would that would be there in certainly in my conditioning um sort of putting up with um, a a certain kind of like it suppose um Not being able to be content with sort of even what's good about what's present because somehow I don't deserve it. I'm sort of unworthy or guilty. Others don't have. Or, yeah, so this may not happen for you, but these are some of the things that I, I can see that could be either... Masquerade or somehow seem to be contentment, but aren't or they they, uh, they sort of prevent us from feeling like we really have permission and we really like it's okay to be content. I mean, it's a pretty radical thing in a way. when you think about, yeah, how much cause there is for discontent. But we're here to strengthen our hearts. And I think of all the wholesome qualities as strengths of heart. And I think contentment is no exception. So to think of it as a contentment, as a uh, something that strengthens the heart. I find that kind of counters this sense of another... Um, definition of the not so wise content um, from my teacher Christina Feldman who called it bovine contentment which I feels a little insulting to cows so with a bit of an apology there (laughs) maybe it's for them it's just cow cowness who knows I can't know but for a human for a human I get this it's like pointing to that you know kind of yeah whatever kind of contentment (laughs) Maybe it's kind of not very reflective, not very in touch, not very wise. Maybe so um, to go on just a little bit to consider the far enemy of contentment, that the opposite, the non-contentment. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I don't know, it's probably we all know that some way, some degree, and it comes up on retreat concerning different aspects of life here, um discontent, agitation, even, you could even say dukkha, you know, just, just, you know, what? what is that, you know, getting what we don't want, Wanting what we're not getting, that whole realm of Dukkha. Um, And more, um, yeah, kind of this um, very important understanding of how um, we are programmed for discontent in a way, you know, craving. It's this very core kind of understanding that this, uh, you know, this energy, this force, this tendency to always be wanting more, wanting something else. Even very subtly, probably, I would say, I hear about some form of that almost every single interview. (laughs) So, here it is. (laughs) And how, how, how we can learn to, sort of learning to recognize it, and name it, and kind of, through that understanding, Sort of do some of that, releasing, unhooking, abandoning of that. Um, and so, I want to share a teaching from Ajahn Sucitto about this, and um, which I hope is is uh, is is uh, helpful, relevant in this particular aspect of. Um, understanding or inquiring into when we feel you know any of that craving the sense of I want or I don't want or I wish it would go away or the subtle senses of wanting to be or become something other that learning to recognize that uh, yeah and you all know this is so key it's so um uh supportive of the process of, well, yeah, practice as a whole and of contentment, which I I think of as a a way of practicing renunciation. So anyway, Ajahn Saito says, renunciation means giving up the sense of I need, I want, I am incomplete without. This absence is a vortex of tangled, overstimulated energy or accumulated pressure. This sense of lack or insufficiency says there is something else I should be or be having right now. So learning to recognize that in our own experience, that's a particular way of uh, articulating it. And I think the sense of understanding craving is kind of coming from a sense of lack and insufficiency. is really helpful. Yeah, the, the not good enough, not enough. And yeah being able to to know that recognize that be mindful of that Um, so also um, perhaps it's helpful to remember that not all discontent is unhelpful where they can be what um and my teacher has passed on now, Rob Bebea, described as holy discontent. And it's that sense of sometimes maybe the discontent is actually calling forth a response and action to alleviate or end suffering or its causes. So another, I guess, another part of the discernment around all this. You know, when do we when do we actually need to act? Like, completely ridiculously simple and mundane example, when I was young, I was at university and I, yeah, not a good situation, no detail necessary really, but I was in a small room in a student house and I had this little room, this sort of bed, and I sort of inherited this duvet, which was not long enough to cover my body And I just put up with this thing for about, you know, six months or something. And I guess I think of that as an example of the not so quite, not quite properly motivated contentment, right? That actually it was about a kind of lack of self-care. and I couldn't quite get it together to just get a bigger duvet so I could sleep more comfortably. And so just as, as a simple example of um, when is it actually skillful? You know, when does it, it comes from care, it comes from wisdom, it comes from some kind of ethical concern, you know, to, 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 to address something in ourselves or around us. So again, I guess contentment, like everything else, it needs sort of wise discernment so, um, thinking of what are the causes and conditions that support contentment, coming into retreat, and like you all have, and I did fairly recently, and letting go and putting aside, you know, so many of the activities of life, right, and the things that we do, and things that we're consuming and information and, you know, relationships and work and all sorts of things. Maybe for a lot of people, you know, you kind of that coming in from, from all that and this feeling of the this, this spinning of all of, somehow the reverberations of all of that. And then maybe as you steady, you know, again, it can take a while, or it takes as long as it takes, and you start to... Okay, here's my sort of sense of it from this recent experience was like, you know, really stopping, putting the machines in the cupboard and, you know, all this and stepping away and then feeling this this spinning of energy and thoughts and preoccupations and worries and like, yeah, like energy, like water sort of, yeah, like just whirling and, and spinning and then gradually realizing maybe yeah it's this worldly situation that maybe I it's almost a bit embarrassing to admit I get so caught up in (laughs) of actually living in a world of thoughts thoughts of present future past you know all sorts of stuff and actually not being very present with you know here now Seeing, hearing, floor, cushion, people, paper. <laughs> I know it's. you will know this and it's so obvious in a way, but I think in terms of contentment, there's something really crucial about being able to, obviously retreat helps us to kind of remember that and practice that. Or in, in any in any situation to stay in touch with, and be more and more able to stay in touch with what's what's actually here, and I think the physical component of that is is not insignificant. It's like it, the mind can find and steady itself with, right, and then it's almost like that the way that the five senses can be your allies. Yeah, as well as they can create difficulty for us, they can also support us if we relate wisely to them. And the seeing and the hearing and the tasting and the touching and so on can start to kind of provide a different sort of, you know, set of reference points, this wow, you know, thoughts and preoccupations and so on that and that, you know, can continue on into our meditation. And one of the ways that happens, which I think is very common for a lot of people, is, is we bring in that energy of doing. And we think we have to do it all, and do a lot in our meditation. And while we certainly need to do something I'm reckoning it's often about 1% of what we think. I don't know, maybe uh, sometimes maybe 2%. <laughs> so Rodney Smith he said um, practice takes us through the doing mind into the non-doing of ease and contentment. And so Maybe just beginning by tuning into and gradually letting the mind start to calm and find contentment with the simplicity like in this place. I mean, you know, just, yeah, in a way as beautiful and luxurious as it is in some, it's also really simple, isn't it? It's kind of, and then letting that help the mind to, So let the building meditate you. Let the woods meditate you. It's that sort of movement, maybe, a funny way of putting it. Yeah. And that what's actually present here and now becomes more and more uh, like this rich reality, this rich field of exploration, and that whole sense of. You know, the stimulation of activity and input and all that just sort of loses its kind of pull, right? And then obviously there's this process then whereby the the meditation can deepen and settle and then there can be that process of a contentment that deepens into, yeah, samadhi, equanimity. So another quote I really love from Ajahn Buddhadasa just let yourself rest in what is already here what is not here is not worth pursuing I, can, I don't know about you when you hear that but some part of my mind starts sort of, sort of wanting to argue with it <laughs> and I say, really? I'm not sure about that you know, like to really. But as a as a support to meditation, as a support to settling, I've I've found it so helpful. And it's really, yeah, kind of I guess um, the support. Again, we're looking for causes and conditions for contentment, and the way that that can be part of the process of settling and. Clarifying. So, just read it again. Just let yourself rest in what is already here. What is not here is not worth pursuing. So, another support which is very um, connected is sense restraint or guarding the sense doors. I came up today in conversation with someone, and. You know, part of how we practice here, again like I was saying with the senses, with um, training, training the mind to be able to be non-reactive to sights, sounds, tastes, smells, touches and th- thoughts as, uh, uh, and phenomena, you know, come from the thinking mind. So um, probably you all practice this in different ways. So the Buddha, this is a quote from, I actually don't know which sutta, sorry. It might be from this one we touched on today, In the, also in the Anguttara Nikaya, in the Book of the Fours. It's uh, the sutta on um, four kinds of striving. On seeing forms with the eye, I'm changing the language slightly, I just you you do not grasp at their signs and features. You guard, you restrain your faculties and experience within yourself a bliss that is unsullied. So I don't know if any of you have experienced this. like I remember one the one long retreat that. At the end of which, there was this just beautiful, pristine clarity. Like, so, yeah, kind of a beautiful kind of clarity. It was so, I don't know if I would have used the word blissful, but it was a very happy state. And of course, it it changed. I would say it lasted about a week (laughs) after the retreat. (laughs) Everything got all muddied again, and the grasping at the signs and that... A hard thing to sustain at, at that level but there's always then the wisdom that kind of arises and that sort of possibility of relating to sights and sounds and and sensations in that with that kind of bare attention and that sort of staying at contact. So this I think is a really uh, helpful kind of ground or condition for the arising of contentment and is actually a good segue into I want to share a bit from uh, Sutta from the Buddha again from the Anguttara Nikaya, Book of the Fours, 28 I think I might leave this on the board for you for till tomorrow so if you want to check it out you can get the Reference. So, some uh, recommendations from, from the Buddha for us, and I want to read you some of this, and I was having a bit of a doubt-fest about, do you ever, yeah, I was talking with someone today about, this. should I do it like this, or should I do it like that, I don't know, well that would be good, and that would be good, pros and cons, anyway. I'm going to change the language to make it more inclusive and I want to be transparent about that. So the translation here from Tanisaro Bhikkhu is, is saying, uh, referring to a monk and I'm going to change it to practitioner. So hopefully that helps invite a sense of how does this relate to, to us, for those of us who are lay people. So I hope, I hope that doesn't offend anybody. If it does, I apologize. There being the case where a practitioner is content with any old clothing at all. I've changed that. It's old robe cloth. I'm, I'm wanting us to connect with this if we can. Um, the practitioner speaks in praise of being content with any old clothes. He does, the practitioner does not for the sake of clothes do anything unseemly or inappropriate. Not getting clothes. The practitioner is not agitated. Getting clothes, he uses them. It's not tied to them. Uninfatuated, guiltless. Seeing the drawbacks of attachment to them and discerning the escape from them. And he, he, the the practitioner does not, on account of their contentment with any old clothes, exalt themselves or disparage others. Yeah. So there's a lot there. I'm only going to go. He uses the the same form for food. So again. With apologies, I'm going to change alms food from uh, to food so that hopefully this is, we can feel that sense of what the teaching might be in here for all of us. Furthermore, the practitioner is content with any old food at all. That's, that's Tanisari because translation, kind of, it's like any old food. Um, The practitioner speaks in praise of being content with any old food at all. The practitioner does not, for the sake of getting food, do anything unseemly or inappropriate. Not getting food. The practitioner is not agitated. Getting food. The practitioner uses it and is not tied to it uninfatuated, guiltless, seeing the drawbacks of attachment to it and discerning the escape from them. And again the same, the practitioner does not on account of his contentment with any old food at all, exalt himself, herself, their self, or disparage others. So um, the same applies to lodging. And, yeah, I won't, uh, I'll leave it for you to look at it again, you know, and see what might be there for you. But probably all of us, especially on retreat, where, you know, we have the opportunity to really look into our sort of relationship with eating and and with food. and, And again, this middle way, like finding the wise, you know, kind of relationship to it what does the body need, you know, what's helpful, what goes on, you know, seeing some of the melodrama that can happen, and and just so much to see and and understand, and um, that this leads to contentment. So I won't repeat, but it's the same teaching with lodging, and again with this place, how easy it is to be discontent <laughs> with various aspects of it and um, seeing again uh, what we can let go of and what we can maybe feel like we need to speak up about and being willing to discern being willing to yeah, be sensitive be flexible be be discerning you know um maybe you need a longer duvet in which case please do ask. <laughs> Don't be like I was. <laughs> On the other hand, if this is all about motivation and you want to spend a month with your feet sticking out just to see, then go for it. You know, that could be really So again, it's so much about what's the motivation? What's the what's the intention, isn't it? It's not what it looks like or what it sounds like or what you know what we think being a good yogi is or it's like yeah this this motivation of investigation, of letting go, of just Yeah. Okay, so the fourth contentment now, when I first read this, I, I think I was so surprised, I'm, I think I laughed out loud. I don't know if you will, but I was really surprised. It goes a slightly different direction. Furthermore, the practitioner finds pleasure and delight in developing skillful mental qualities, finds pleasure and delight in abandoning unskillful mental qualities. I was like, oh... Right. <laughs> That's, I thought it was going to be medicine, you know, which is, I think, the fourth requisite. And I was like... I, I think, for me, this was kind of the, one of the highlights of this sutta. Like, and then it goes on, the practitioner does not on account of their pleasure and delight in developing, abandoning, exalt themselves or disparage others. So the same, but... What I, I, I feel like this points to, one of the things is how we can use any part of our life and our, you know, say our practical life or our material circumstances, you know, here or elsewhere, and we can practice the, this, this practice of contentment, wise, discerned contentment. And then we have much more access to the possibility of cultivating the mind at all, because we're not spending, you know, whatever it is, 16 hours a day trying to maneuver everything to be super pleasant and yeah, how much energy and, like if we just just let it be, you've got my, many more hours for meditation for other wholesome activities I mean that's I know maybe that's a kind of obvious thing but then this sense of finding pleasure and delight simply in being able to practice like knowing about it wow like we actually know about it we have this possibility we can intend we can try We can cultivate, we can, yeah, and the pleasure and delight from just doing it, just moment by moment, day by day, you know, falling off, getting back on again, wondering what we're doing, not being sure, then knowing what we're doing, and then not knowing again. (laughs) But this sense of taking, finding pleasure and delight in our practice, and, and not In results or in the hankering after results, not in being able to present ourselves to ourselves, probably primarily, or to others, you know, as being, you know, good, great, whatever. What a relief! (laughs) What a relief. You know, we can find pleasure and delight and contentment simply in showing up and developing skillful mental qualities. Is that I don't know? I just that feels so somehow important, so beautiful. But um, of course, there are results. And there are good results. And the one, so the Buddha does point to, so this will be the last thing I'll share. I feel like. And this also, this time I ate, really struck me more. That contentment, the contentment the Buddha's talking about, you can hear it. It's not about getting what you want. and Getting things all nicely pleasant. It's not, it's, you to hear it, can't you? Any food, no food. Lots of food, very little food, lodging, no lodging, very smart, very scruffy. You no, know, it's just contentment within all of that, any of that. And the contentment to be able to practice. You know, I was thinking, I was sick a little while ago, and I was lying there in the bed, you know, for a few days. I couldn't, I couldn't do anything. I was all I could do to get up, go to the loo, and then come back again, drink some water and then I'd lie down again. (laughs) But I could practice. And I I felt like it was a really good example of of almost the relief of being stopped for a while. You know, and just okay you can you can always do that whatever the circumstances and i think that that is one of the maybe the empowerments of this way of seeing the training in contentment is because maybe we can get that sense of we can practice whatever happens wherever we are whatever is going on I don't know if I find something very inspiring in that. Because we've trained, we've trained in bringing forth what we can. Wherever we are, whatever the state, internally, externally. And this is empowering and this is supportive for us and, and for others. So the Buddha, near the end of the sutta, says... A practitioner endowed with these four traditions of the Noble Ones conquers displeasure and is not conquered by displeasure. The wise one endures both pleasure and displeasure. So I think this points to, again, the kind of radical nature of the freedom that the Buddha is pointing to. It's the happiness, the peace that is not dependent on the conditions of the body, the mind, the world, being a certain way. And we can be present within all of that in a way where we are uh, unconquered by pleasure or displeasure. And we know them. And we can um, yeah, live with them in a way, but not be overwhelmed by them. And uh, the contentment of, here uh, yeah, the contentment of uh, the Dhamma is really accessible for us and here and now just as we are and I hope we can each of us really find our find our way And more and more in touch with the, yeah, the great contentment that frees the heart. So I'd like to close these reflections with a, a poem um, from a book called Women of the Way by Sally Tisdale. It's about Tejitsu, Japanese abbess of Hakujan, the 17th century abbess. thought it would be a fitting closing. Standing on the small porch of Hakujan, she saw the shadow of a hungry crow and the shadow of a little wren cross the footpath. And she saw that the little wren arose, abided and fell away. And then she saw that arising arose, abided and fell away. She saw that knowing arose, abided and fell away. Then she knew that this sorry, that there was nothing more than this no ground, nothing to lean on, stronger than the cane she held. Nothing to lean upon at all and no one leaning. And so she opened the clenched fist of her mind and let go and fell into the midst of everything. So let's just sit for a moment.